right, shape up, you malcontents. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. Boy, it sounds good to say that. It's been a while because I pre-recorded a bunch of them. As anytime I say pre-record now, I think of George Carlin. It's like, when else are you going to record it? Afterwards? Um, uh, George Carlin, rest in peace, my man. This is Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance in St. Paul, Minnesota. And we've got a, uh, what do they call it? A, um, a bubble episode or like one of those episodes in like a TV sitcom where it's just like the people sitting around in the, in the room. Um, bottle episode. and uh, But actually, this is going to be way better because Sean is fired up. Sean Gonsalves, one of the people joining us. Uh, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm, re- I'm ready to preheat the oven. <laughs> Sean is uh, uh, handles a lot of our communications. He does a ton of writing on MuniNetworks.org, and um, and generally keeps us. Um, uh, you know, I would say there's a reality check uh, often on how bad my podcasts are to my face, which I appreciate. Um, <laughs> we <laughs> we'll talk about that. Uh, we got Deanne Cuellar. Welcome. Buongiorno. Good day. Doing outreach work, thinking a lot about uh, how communities can uh, take advantage of helping them get the resources they need and strategizing and stuff like that. I am. Anything I'm missing there? Holding us together? <laughs> Thank you. And then we got Rye, the, the doctor, Professor Ryerson. Welcome. Chris, it's, a, it's an incomplete day when we don't get to talk six or eight times, so it's good to be here. Rye Marcatilio McCracken, definitely the best name at ILSR, um, and certainly within the program. Um, uh, welcome, everyone. Uh, we're going to talk about a variety of different topics we're going to move through, uh, probably even more than usual. Um, but I would like to start with a fiery one, and then maybe we'll come up with a fiery one. Um, uh, Sean, I was um, I was talking to these folks the other day, and they say that um, that they're planning to overbuild the cable network. Uh, just just curious if you think that's a good idea or not. It's an excellent idea. It's a it's it's a, it's a horrible idea to keep using a word that uh, opponents of municipal broadband love to trot out. And frankly, you I know, think you mean of government owned networks. <laughs> yes, yes. Gongs. The idea, you know, we, you know, people need to understand that anytime they hear the word overbuild, it means competition. And it's an engineering term that's been hijacked by the telecom monopolists to make it sound like it, it's this horrible thing to have competition, that somehow it's a waste of money to build networks that compete with one another. And so it just it, it drives me crazy when I hear people in this space, particularly advocates for municipal broadband and publicly owned broadband networks, use the, this term that way. It, it, it drives me crazy. It does. And, and it's appropriate. I'm going to argue with you, uh, even though I agree vehemently with you. And I also um, I'm going to I'm going to jump all around. It's going to be very rare for me not to hold a fixed position. I realize nobody will be used to this. Um, but uh, I've, I myself have gotten lazy about this lately. And uh, and I welcome you to call me on it if it keeps happening. Uh, but um, I would say that there's another thing that, that you didn't mention, which is it's ridiculous to talk about overbuilding. I mean, maybe if you're talking about a really modern, well-run cable network, uh, you know, one might think of a fiber network as being competitive to it in some ways. Uh, but often in many cases, uh, this term might be used where you're talking about building a four-lane interstate where you've got a dirt road. And, and these aren't even comparable networks that one can talk about. And just because some company happened to build it first there, they have like the eternal right to, to be the sole network in that area um so but let me push back on you right like i feel like 
10 years ago, there was a lot of effort, um, a lot of effort put into rebranding net neutrality because people were like, the term is boring. People don't understand what it is. It's complicated. Who wants to be for net neutrality? Who wants to be for neutrality? And at the time, I was like, this is ridiculous. Like, like we need to win. We don't need to argue about words. And and I felt like on that issue, I was like, like, and I was right. I mean, we can say in history because like millions of people turned out in favor of net neutrality, even though we never found a better term for it. Uh, and so, um, you know, what is uh, what do you say to that? The idea of just like, yeah, like the, the, the word's not great, but people know what it means. And, and who cares? Let's just move on and get the work done. The problem with it is that it sticks. I think that's the part that's frustrating for communicators, right? Or people that do communications is that I, I mean, maybe, maybe we should make a list of other sectors where things stick, but like what's interesting about working in broadband equity is that the, the, the top line messages of Monopoly ISPs stick, right? So the term overbuild and overinvestment comes from them and not us, but it's frustrating to go into meetings and try to be like coming up with alternative solutions or just trying to solve a, a problem and like hearing a decision maker using talking points from a monopoly. I think that's what's really frustrating is that it sticks. And I and, and it's like, I, I go to the grocery store. I don't complain that there's multiple brands of salsa. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but like I can go into a meeting and like overinvestment, overbuilding is a, is a message. <laughs> Yeah, great point. And but you know, points well taken, Chris. I mean, you know, what's that? Well, I don't. I can't remember that quote. You know, about something about you know, you if you you got a small mind, if you can't sort of hold two opposing ideas in your head at the same time, something to that effect. And in 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 both in both things that you're saying are correct. We shouldn't get too caught up in arguing about terminology and actually get stuff done. Except for where it's important. <laughs> Except for where it's important, exactly. And it turned out that it wasn't so important with net neutrality. Although I would argue it's because that word neutrality is just an appealing word to people. People like the idea, you know, you know, when you hear especially in an environment where you hear these arguments about government shouldn't be picking sides, they're out there, 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 you know, there should be neutrality. Uh, you know, there needs to be a neutral third party. So I think that word itself is warm to people's ears. But the term overbuilding itself suggest that you're doing something unnecessary. And that is the problem that I have with that term. And I, I frankly don't like to, I don't like to let people get away with, 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 with stuff like that. And I, and I really don't like when people, and I don't care what their pedigree is or how many letters they have after their name, you're not going to tell me what to call something. I have a perfectly good grasp of the English language. I know all kinds of the rhetorical tricks that people use and I'm going to call people on it when 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 I hear it being done. Well, I was just going to say, if I had to thank anybody for helping us win net neutrality, it, I would thank the musicians. Yes. Yeah. The artists, the musicians, I think, um, were tremendous on that. And, and some of them that are you know continuing to work with like Fight for the Future and, uh, and Orgs, Free Press. I mean, a lot of these folks have done um, uh, great work. Um, just one second. Imagine if we could get some some celebrities and artists to... Uh make a song about muni broadband or, 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 or stick out on this issue instead of taking these lucrative contracts from the telecom giants to tout their latest product, which right. you see all over social media. I accept that challenge. We shouldn't use that language. Absolutely not. Uh, it's, I think it's, it's not helpful. And 
especially when uh, I guess the final point that I would just put on it, because there's so much more we could say about it, but we're going to move on, uh, is that uh, in many cases, um, we need overlapping networks, right? Like in some places, people are never going to take service from Comcast because they hate Comcast. Even low-income folks don't want that, you know, internet essentials, even if they don't have to pay for it. And other people are never going to take a network from the government, right? Because like they don't trust the government because of um, whether it's misplaced or not, fears of spying and, and that sort of a thing. Uh, so mm-hmm. I think the idea that um, that we have that sort of like, oh, we just got this one perfect network, everything would be great. No, that's not accurate. And that's not how the internet should work. We should have overlapping networks that have different tasks. And and I firmly believe that. And uh, I'll fight anyone on it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I want to ask Rye about the big list. Uh, we just updated that recently, and uh, that's really cool. What is the big list, and did anything strike you as really interesting about it? Since um, or late last summer, we've been tracking uh, community-led American Rescue Plan-based um, broadband projects, infrastructure projects, and we had a milestone within the last week or so uh, with 250 projects on that big list. Uh, so we're tracking 250 different communities around the country doing some sort of broadband project using the rescue plan dollars. Some of them are uh, exciting. We're seeing some municipal networks um, starting out, funding expansions, uh, finishing up with rescue plan money. Some stuff is less exciting, the distribution of more hotspots and giving away money to uh, the monopoly providers in, in certain areas. So it's kind of a mixed bag, but it's exciting to see the good projects on that list. And one of the one of the great uh, uses of this money so far has been both Baltimore and Detroit planning to use that money and hopefully soon breaking ground on projects to build networks to low income folks that have been totally left out. And their states have access to many more hundreds of millions of dollars. And in both cases, Maryland and Michigan, uh, I think, are actually not all that supportive of of trying to solve this problem in some of their largest cities, uh, which is, I think, really frustrating for many of us that uh, there are good rules that the federal government has put in place in many cases from the rescue plan dollars. But we see states uh, under the thrall of big cable and telephone companies or just regular politics going after rural voters and not caring about urban voters, uh, I think leading to uh, less opportunities than we would like to see in uh, major metropolitan areas. Uh, Sean's done some interesting work, you know, just looking at what's happening in New York State. Uh, Sean, what's going on there? It's actually pretty exciting. Um, initially, you know, I, I, I had just saw the amount that was being put in and not, without having thought about what it actually means, which is that New York is venturing into municipal broadband for the for the first time. Municipal fiber for the first time, right? Because we still got we still got Tupper Lake sitting up there, and there might be another one or two that we're not right. Familiar M- with. Municipal fiber, right? That's an important distinction. But municipal fiber, and so you know, we've written about the Connect All initiative, which is the uh, state grant program that the governor announced and this and was passed in the state budget bill in April. It's a $1 billion investment in broadband, which is the largest ever investment in broadband in New York. And part of what the state budget bill did is created an ecosystem to cultivate municipal uh, broadband networks. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, the governor and various other officials, it's a, it's a whole consortium of folks working together on this. The um, Empire State Development Office, the Development Authority of North Count, uh, North Country, the Southern Tier Network, and the New York Power Authority. And essentially what it is allowing for is for these nonprofit middle mile network providers to work together to um, 
really provide backhaul for, for municipalities who would like to build out last mile connections. And that's exactly what's going on. And so a couple of weeks ago, they announced a $10 million grant award to four different counties, and they're going to build a municipal fiber to the home network in Sherburn. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Sherburn, the village of Sherburn uh, in New York, which is in basically the central part of the state. And uh, they're going to be building out to 1,800 uh, homes and businesses. And because they got this money, this was something that the, the, the village itself does have an existing uh, municipal utility, Sherburn Electric. And um, part of what was driving the push for this in, in, in the town, even prior to this grant award, was them wanting to have a modern communication system to, so that their uh, electric utility operates much better. Um, and but with the infusion of the money that they'll get from this grant, it is going to allow them for what they thought was going to be a four year process of kind of doing it on their own to actually building out this network within the next year. Um, they're looking at uh, an open access model and then to lease out to net, the network to Internet service providers who'd like to provide retail service. You know, I'm sure you can talk about some of the challenges that go along with that, particularly in small communities that build open access networks and sometimes the difficulty in getting, you know, multiple providers to want to operate on that network. But nevertheless, they're moving forward and they're hoping that by October, the network will have been built out and they'll start lighting up some of their first customers. So the big deal really is that New York is making this foray into uh, fiber to the home, uh, municipal fiber to the home. And that's going to be the focus of an upcoming show. We're going to be focused uh, talking with folks from Empire State Development about uh, some of these uh, projects and what's moving forward. Um, but I wanted to ask you, uh, did you learn any interesting facts in interrupting the mayor on his morning constitutional? <laughs> yeah, he was he was walking this morning and I actually called Shearburn Electric looking to speak to anybody. And they said, hold on a minute. Let me see who I can put you in touch with. And then she put me in touch with the mayor and he answered his phone on the first ring. And I think it's, it, you know, that kind of like small community uh, connectivity, meaning, you know, in the, in, in, in the larger scheme of things, I think is one of the things that is so attractive about these kind of networks where you can actually call people and talk to people in the local community. And there's a sense of accountability and a sense of responsibility to one another to, to meet the needs of that particular community. You know, they're early on in the process. And so, for example, you know, they're not exactly sure if the grant money is going to cover the cost of construction for the entire network. But I can tell you that they are determined to move forward and build out this network um, in, in, in any way possible. Certainly the infusion of money from the state means that um, it's going to speed things along pretty quickly. And although the mayor didn't say anything about this, that area is served by Charter and Frontier. And, you know, given the track record of those companies in other areas, I'm quite sure that um, they are underbuilt. They are underbuilt and folks are tired of it and would like to see there be ubiquitous access to high speed Internet connectivity at, at, at reasonable rates. They haven't got to the point yet where they've started dis discussing rates um, affordability is certainly, you know, a, you know, a top priority in building out this network. I think they're, you know, the mayor also is very much aware that they are for a, the tip of the spear as it relates to this experiment, shall we say, in New York with municipal fiber to the home project. So they're, so they are acutely aware of that and are really interested in making sure they get this right. Because if they don't, it could certainly have, you know, some cascading effects in terms of 
what other communities think about as this being an alternative to relying on the local monopoly provider. So we're going to learn more about that also, I suspect. I don't know for sure, but we're going to learn a lot about what's happening in New York on June 28th for those of us who will be going to the event in Binghamton. Um, there's Southern Tier 8 is having an event there. Uh, uh, they're also looking at doing some interesting things. So uh, for people who uh, have an ability to, to get to Binghamton, uh, that's going to be cool. And uh, while I'm at it, I should just note that the 21st and 22nd of June, going to see some uh, cool event in Cleveland uh, joint event from, I believe, Pew and Charitable Trusts and with uh, Catherine DeWitt and um, Next Century Cities uh, sponsoring uh, that event. So um, this show that uh, will come out right after, I think you and I have left Nashville uh, for the uh, Fiber Connection, so we we won't plug that, but um, I'm looking forward to that show. Um, but speaking of what states are doing, I feel like, you know, the opposite of New York might be Texas in a variety of ways. Um, Deanne, you've been given a lot of thought to what Texas is going to do with the IIJA money, uh, trying to track that down. What are you hearing? Well, I'm, I'm hearing that there's more than one state, more than just Texas that wants to pass on funding to build community broadband infrastructure. And we really won't know what's going to happen until the deadline passes, So what we're doing is we're encouraging communities that live in those states to get ready with their own letters of intent. So we've been studying what happens next. And so what happens next is that communities need to be ready to um, file their own separate letter of intent as political subdivisions. Uh, So I think for me as a a community organizer and someone working at the grassroots to the Beltway in that direction is... Um, what I also learned in this process is like how the political subdivision is defined is different state by state. So I think there's the there's the good and bad uh, to that. But I, so what organi- uh, what communities and organizations should be doing right now is trying to figure out like do they have the legal know how to file letters of intent when the deadline passes? It's June. They should be and so July 18th is not that far away. They should be working on that now, and they should also be working really closely with a telecommunication policy lawyer or analyst or whoever they can get to, to like, to see like what, what list of organizations or political subdivisions can file those letters of intent. Um, so I think there's an opportunity in the chaos here for uh, local communities to really um, uh, get creative. I, I'm on the other side of it. I think that um, for lack of better words, it just really sucks that there, um, there are geographies that are willing to pass on resources um, on infrastructure. And that's a whole other issue that deserves this whole other podcast. So I, you know, there's more than one thing happening here with, with states. And then I think the last thing I would point to is that unless I'm wrong, y'all can tell me this. I think the majority of the states that are rumored to be passing on this funding are mostly states in the South, which are mostly where communities of color that need the rural and urban that need these resources the most. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a thing. That's a great point. You know, one thing you, you mentioned about, um, you know, political subdivisions within States, um, you know, having, needing to get creative, if particularly if it's in a state that is going to bypass on the, on the bead funds. One thing that we did learn at mountain connect was from Alan Davidson, the NTIA uh, secretary or assistant secretary, um, was that the middle mile infrastructure program that that NOFO was also released 
community, local communities can apply for that money directly. Like they don't, it, so, you know, the bead money goes to the states, but the middle mile infrastructure program is available for uh, lo local communities, I believe, to be able to apply directly to the NTIA. So that, you know, in that limited capacity, that's an avenue of possibility for, for even for states who opt out of the bead money. That's a really good point. And I think the other the other thing that we, we need to do at, at ILSR, at, uh, part of the Community Broadband Network Initiative team, is that is gently be reminding people that, like, I think it was you or Chris mentioned that, like, these proposals should be, like, very attractive proposals on how they're going to create community solutions, right? And so really, like, taking the time to, like, flesh them out with local communities of, like, all, all, all of the solutions. So I've seen a lot of middle mile and last mile proposals, which is fantastic. But I also like re reminding people that like there's still resources available for like launching a digital navigator model, putting investment into deploying devices through, you know, out into the community, like lots of devices and literacy programs that already exist. So just making sure that they're looking at all three legs of the stool. Yeah, I wanted to chime in that I'm I'm looking at a map from May 18th that Telecompetitor put out. I think NTIA actually may have released it over um, uh, social media at one point, and um, you know at that point 34 states had submitted letters of intent or 34 jurisdictions because Puerto Rico is one of them. Uh, Texas and Florida are, did not. Uh, most of the states of the South did. You know, um, I don't know if you consider Oklahoma part of the South, but uh, they have not. As of then, South Carolina had not, and Virginia had not. I can't imagine that Virginia wouldn't. Uh, I'm curious. I mean, I feel like what we see, and, I, and I'll own up to the fact that I think the bead program is burdensome. And if I was a state, I'd be pretty upset at how much it's pushing down on me. And I don't, you know, I don't think it's a very well crafted program in, in multiple ways. But it's Florida and Texas that are the ones who are making a big deal out of it. And I got to think it's just the governors looking for some way to distinguish themselves as being like the bigger person against government pork. And, you know, like, and who cares if millions of families in, in those states don't get connected? That governor is going to have something to try and distinguish themselves, uh, you know, uh, you know, as a as a crusader against uh, government overreach and and whatnot. And uh, my point in using this, uh, the voice is just that I, I don't think these are feelings that are sincerely held. It's it's crass part and politics that are leading to these decisions, um, which is unfortunate because we don't get the benefit then of NTIA feeling pressure to reform uh, some of those problematic aspects of the the bead program. I've you know I've been taking note about how closely your and Sean's um, kind of uh, uh, alternative personality voice come out when you start um, you know using the vocabulary of the of the more ridiculous side. You both kind of lean back and your shoulders get uh, get a little straighter, uh, and you're you know. Pretty soon you'll be indistinguishable. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, the, the one difference is, is that when I do it, I, I uh, listeners won't know this, but I'm, tw I'm I twirl my mustache at the same time. <laughs> Shane, you must have very little fingers to twirl that mustache. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, speaking of politics, uh, Gigi Sohn has still not been confirmed. Um, you know, we were recently talking with uh, a couple of other organizations and um, and there was a, someone made a, a reference to the Title II proceeding once there's a fifth commissioner. And I was like, yeah, I don't know if there's going to be a Title II proceeding. Like, I mean, I, I didn't write anything, but I was just in my head. I was like, yeah, maybe. Like, maybe we just won't see the FCC do anything. You know, the Biden administration uh, seems to be very content to do nothing on this. Um, it's not the only place. Uh, the Biden administration has been derelict in multiple oversight organizations. I just saw uh, another one. I don't think it was the CFTC, the Commodities Future Trading 
something. Um, but there's another like significant oversight board where um, like, companies are just engaging in like abuse of their customers, and the Biden administration just hasn't deigned to uh, you know confirm anyone. Um, when when Donald Trump failed to get confirmations through, uh, we use it as evidence of his incompetence and manifest unfitness for government. And um, boy, it sucks watching uh, the Biden administration just miss these opportunities. Um, not to say they don't have challenges, but like if you want to be the president, you got to step up and be able to walk and chew gum at the same time. Um, and uh, I, I feel like there's sort of one explanation, which is that they're busy uh, or they don't know what they're doing. And the other explanation, uh, which I'm leaning more and more toward, is that they're they're doing this cynically. They're doing this to curry favor with the cable and telephone companies. Um, you know, they don't want to upset uh, the companies by um, by uh, acting too strongly against them in too many different fields. And they're just leaving the FCC uh, you know, abandoned because uh, it's like a giveaway to the companies that are writing them big checks. Uh, so I couldn't agree with you more. Like, I honestly believe, Chris, that's what's going on is that, you know, I'm not going to name names of companies like that we've had these arguments with locally, but one of the things that I try to explain to people when you're doing broadband equity work and you're having to go up against monopoly ISPs is that decision makers have like an emotional connection to these companies, like, like they, like they, like growing up with Coca-Cola. And, and so it's really hard to get them like at the, the further you climb on the political spectrum doing this work you, you find out that like, it's, it's really difficult. And, and I know it's not apples to apples. Like when we're saying like, you know, the, there's a, this whole other like horrible thing going on with, um, you know, with gun ownership and the NRA, it's not the same. However, like it, it, it does feel as an advocate, just as difficult to try to like break the seal. And I, I would just add on to that to say that I think one of the issues is that, um, there's a sense that connecting everyone's a really big problem. We, the only way we can do it is with a really big company. And, and it's just flawed thinking because the best way to do it, we see this in the energy program as well. When you really need a lot of things to happen in a lot of places, a distributed solution is the best solution. To have tons of people acting with the same goals in parallel so you don't have these pipelines that are like uh, getting clogged in single points of failure. And uh, elected leaders don't get that. They don't think like that. They think we need big government. We need big solutions. We need big companies. And I don't feel like there's a political party that appreciates that, um, you know, thinking distributed is, uh, is much smarter, particularly in uh, this century. You gave me a, um, this is before I worked uh, over here at ILSR, but you gave me an excellent talking point that helped me in my work not too long ago. And you said, you know, depending on monopoly ISPs is like putting McDonald's in charge of ending hunger. And I, to this day, stick to that talking point because I, it really resonates and I've used it in meetings and I, I want people that are listening to this podcast to, to, to think about that because it makes a whole lot of common sense. Yeah, I, I sort of laid this out in an article in Nonprofit Quarterly called The Signal Failure, which is still one of the articles I'm most proud of. Um, I just feel like it really made a strong argument. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm usually make pretty weak arguments. I just shout really loud. Um, and that one I, I really worked hard at. So, uh, like some other things we wanted to talk about, um, the, uh, connect this series. Um, I just wanted to say we're, we're continuing to do that. And I don't know how many people here watch or listen to that, but 
it's fun. And uh, we got some really great shows uh, that, that are still relevant from the past. And so I wanted to, to plug that quick. Um, Rye is uh, taking on the duties of producing it uh, after uh, Henry has left us for uh, a different field. And, um, and anyway, we're trying to keep that up. And so I want to make sure people are still poking over there occasionally. We've done something that's really cool and I think actually may be a signal of some other things we'll be doing in the future around tracking data uh, with uh, Rise team. Uh, Christine and Emma have both brought a real enthusiasm to using this thing called Tableau and that's about as much as I know about it. So I'm hand it over to Rye for maybe a, a sense of what we're doing with the R- Rural Digital Opportunity Funding uh, from the Federal Communications Commission, uh, but also where um, how we might be using that more in the future. We're all talking about bead all the time, it seems like right now, but it's important to remember that there's uh, there are billions of dollars uh, in RDOF funding that is going through the various processes of um, getting uh, things approved and then, you know, bids, those bids, those winning bids that were back in December of 2020 getting authorized. And so, you know, there are people in this world that don't get excited about opening up a spreadsheet, and I am one of those people. And so it's nice to have the expertise of uh, other folks on the research team to take those regular data releases, which I've got to say the FCC just makes super easy to handle, uh, if I'm being sarcastic there, if you can't tell from the tone of my voice. You didn't throw your shoulders back, so I didn't get it. <laughs> Taking those uh, the data, which you know are difficult to wade through for a layperson, and then putting them you know in an easy to understand way. And so essentially, what we've done is we've created a uh, a real time RDOF dashboard tracker using the FCC uh, releases, which are happening in a regular fashion and uh, and turning them into something that you can interact with in a way that's hopefully useful to you, whether you're a local official or uh, a local broadband champion, or you're just trying to get a sense of what's going on with all the money in the States. And so that uh, tracker is live uh, on our website, muninetworks.org. And you can go there and see um, not only a map of the US and how much money will be going out through RDOF over the course of the next 10 years uh, by state. But you can see who the top 10 uh, bidders were during that auction, that reverse auction. And then also uh, who's gotten funds authorized so far. And so that data is manipulatable and you can uh, build your own custom spreadsheets using Tableau and download it. And it's, uh, it's very exciting to be able to add this kind of capacity and this tool to our toolbox. Right. And just to be clear about that term authorized, uh, you know, there was an auction and the Federal Communications Commission under chairperson Ajit Pai decided that it would be awesome if we didn't pre-qualify people and make sure they could actually make good on it. We just sort of see what happened. And what happened was a number of companies uh, got uh, one bids and it's not clear that they have the capacity to uh, to actually achieve the goals that, that they have said they can do. And the FCC is evaluating those. And so the FCC is evaluating, I believe, authorized a, a about half of the money. Is that right? Um, rise yep, nodding. 54%. And um, so a little bit more than half. And uh, you can tell the top bidders often haven't been fully authorized yet, or in some cases have been authorized at all yet, as the FCC continues to try to decide whether they have the technical uh, competence and other factors uh, that are needed before they authorize the money. Uh, we would expect to see that some of those awards may be canceled. Uh, based on uh, the FCC not being convinced that the company has an ability to uh, perform, but we have no sense of the time scale. So this is something you can check in from time to time to just get a sense of where are we in terms of those art off awards going out the door. Yeah. One, one, one thing as it relates to that, that I, 
that I'm sort of particularly interested in is how the RDOF funding will interact or interplay with the uh, with the bead funding. Because my understanding is is that you know areas that uh, or projects that are being funded with RDOF money are not you, you can't use bead money for those same areas. And so and it sounded like uh, Alan Davidson was saying that they the NTIA was going to defer to the FTC in terms you know in terms of 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 how that will shake out and not, you know in in I, what was the word to use d d D conflict. Yeah. D conflict. Yes. I feel like, I feel so, like I'm, I'm just hearing you tell me that we should have John Chambers on to like um, go through some of this stuff because he tracks it so well and he's a good communicator to like explain what's happening and what he sees happening with these conflicts. Because uh, what I'm very curious about is whether there is a method of deconflicting via the FCC because I feel like NTIA is like. Hey guys, we're doing a better job than you. You should just stop awarding money in these areas where where you know it's not going to be as good. And I don't know if the FCC has a mechanism for deconflicting the way that NTIA wants them to. And um, I don't know. There might be an audience of ten people for that show, but uh, I'm going to serve them. <laughs> the, the the reason why it's interesting to me is because I, you know, especially considering that the timelines with the stuff seems to be a little fuzzy, but. You know, it, it would be, you know, worst case scenario is that there's a, you know, an art off project that doesn't cut the mustard. And then also that, the, the you know, folks in that particular area lose out on bead funding and then they get left left in the dust, you know, in, in, in all of this. And that would be, you know, the worst case scenario for, for, for a community. So that that that's the reason why it's interesting to me or, you know, to, to see how that stuff shakes out. Yeah, I just wanted to, you know, maybe end on a positive note with uh, with art off and say that. Um... A lot of the big monopoly providers have gotten all their money, and so we'll see what shakes out with them. Uh, but there are also a lot of uh, cooperatives that are that are that have gotten their money released, including some of the big consortiums uh, that bid in the auction. Um, and then, uh, you know, a, a muni here and there. So Reedsburg, Wisconsin, um, is getting $6.5 million over 10 years to build to 4,500 uh, rural locations around town. So um, it's exciting to see, you know, in, if we're talking about distributed solutions, those uh, those little wins peppered in there. Yes, and and Reedsburg is a particularly good example because you said around town, but it's actually around not town because uh, they've been a, uh, doing a good job over the years of expanding to Sauk County in places that are quite rural around them and seeking uh, state money. The Wisconsin uh, grant programs, I think, have been smart about mostly funding fiber projects, often from local companies, including um, you know Reedsburg. Uh, but Reedsburg was one of very few munis or tribes that were in Ardoff. And I think it was unfriendly. I think those um, reverse auctions are challenging for smaller entities to navigate. And it's really exciting that at least Reedsburg got out the other end and is doing good work with that money. Uh, so uh, any any other concluding comments, Deanne? No, I have nothing. But I, I was going to say that I feel like we should bring back the term cut the mustard now that Sean has said it. <laughs> <laughs> Slice of ketchup, cut the mustard. All right. Well, it's been a it's been a fun show. Covered a bunch of different topics. Uh, I feel like Sean was a little bit less uh, enthusiastic about shouting about overbuilding than he was in the pre meeting. But uh, that's what happens when you, you let the steam out. We let the steam out too much beforehand. Well, no, it's just that most of my uh, cranky energy is because the Warriors lost last night, and uh, oh, it was rough. And Steph hurt his ankle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, that, that that's got me in knots right now. So. And I'm, and I, of course, I live in Boston Celtics nation, so I, I, I spend a lot of time go, going to war with other with Celtic fans. Well, we're, we feel we feel it, Sean, and and I, I'm rooting for the Warriors for the the a sweep for the rest of the games. So, 
Yes. All right. Well, thank you all for tuning in. It's been a fun episode. Thank you to my colleagues here at the Community Broadband Networks Initiative at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. And hope you all have a great week. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this and other podcasts from ILSR, including Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ilsr.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount keeps us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. This was the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.